Today we're going to continue our series, Life After Life. We're going to do it for two more weeks after this week. We'll end the last weekend of June. And then on the July 4th weekend, we're going to have a big praise and worship celebration. It's really going to be exciting. Now, we've covered so much in our Life After Life series, there's no way I can possibly even begin to review it. And so if you've missed any of the series, you can get the series in its entirety when we finish it. You can get a CD, or you can go to gobridgechurch.org and listen to them on our website. We've talked about so many things, but lately we've just kind of settled in on this idea, what's heaven really going to be like? That's what we want to know. We're people of faith here. We, we believe there is a heaven, and we, we know how to get there through Jesus Christ, but what's it really going to believe like? Scripture does tell us a lot about what heaven is going to be like, and that's what we're studying here as we conclude this series. Last week we talked about what form are you going to take in heaven? What are you going to look like? What are you going to be like? And we discover through Scripture that you will be you. Now, you will be a much enhanced you. You will have a glorified body that will never decay. You won't have to worry about sin anymore. But you will retain who you are, your gender, your your ethnicity. You will retain all that. You know why? Because it's not a mistake now, and it won't be a mistake in eternity. God created you unique. God created you special. And we need to celebrate that. The fact that God didn't make us all look alike. He didn't clone us. We are all unique, and that's one of the things that we celebrate together. Now, today, I want to get into this question. What are we going to be doing in heaven forever and ever? Think about that. How many agree forever and ever and ever and ever and ever is a long time? What are we going to be doing forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever? In fact, that's where a lot of people don't have faith. That's where they don't want to have faith. A lot of people don't like the idea of going to heaven. Take a guy like Isaac Asimov, who was a Boston University professor of biochemistry. He said this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even worse. For whatever the torments of hell, I think of the boredom of heaven would be even worse. Can you imagine? Now, on a little lighter side, Mary Roach, who's the author of Spook Science Tackles the Afterlife, said, it would be especially comforting to believe that I have the answer to the question, what happens when we die? Does the light just go out and that's that? A million-year nap? Or will some part of my personality, my meanness, persist? What will it feel like? What will I do all day? Is there a place to plug in my laptop? Mark Twain, that great American author, said this, Most people cannot bear sitting in a church for an hour on Sunday. How are they supposed to live somewhere very similar to it for eternity? I mean, how can you bear it? See, and that's really the sentiments of so many unbelievers, but you know what? It's also the sentiments of some believers. Say, you know, really? Ever and ever and ever? Well, see... A belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy that God is boring. That's what we're really saying. If heaven's going to be boring, well, that's the abode of God. So what we're really saying is, you know what? God's really boring. See, we see in ourselves all these fun-loving people full of adventure and excitement and creativity. And we look at God like some kind of a humorless killjoy out there. Oftentimes we really do. But we're the ones that's got it backwards. We really do. It's not God who's boring. It's us who's boring. Just follow us around for a week, right? He's not boring. We're boring. 
Think about it. God has created us to be able to experience pleasure and emotion. God is the one who gave us the ability to see, to hear, and to speak. It's God who gave us taste buds so that we can really enjoy food, not just have to exist by eating food. It's God who created the beauty of this world that we live in, that we're awestruck with, and that we enjoy every day. It's God who created us male and and female. It's God who gave us sex drive. And Pastor Pete stepped back and said, it is good. (laughs) See, God is the creative one. God is the amazing one. God is the one who's adventurous. We will never be able to exhaust God's humor nor God's sense of adventure and creativity. It's not God who's boring. It's us who are boring. And so heaven is going to be exciting. See, the problem is with us, not God. We think of living under the curse of sin, we think that's normal. We think that's, that's what life is all about. And we might be able to conceive of the idea of happiness extended over a few days or maybe a week or a few weeks. A peace of joy, of not having stress and not having problems. We, we might be able to conceive that in, in a very little compressed amount of time. But can we conceive of a million years, a billion years Never experiencing one day of stress, one day of unhappiness, one day of sorrow and of challenge. Can we even comprehend that? No. Why? Because we live under the curse of sin, and we have now accepted that lifestyle as the normal lifestyle. Because that level of happiness is not attainable here in this fallen earth, We assume it won't be possible on the new earth, but we are wrong about that. We're wrong about that. See, Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Eternal pleasures. That's what I'm talking about. How about you? That's what that life's going to be. Eternal joy every day, all day, for all eternity. Eternal pleasures. So what are we going to be doing in heaven forever and ever? Well, let's look at some of the things Scripture tells us we're going to do. You ready? Again, all the notes will be available for you after the service, but there are some fill-in-the-blanks today if you want to stay busy. What are we going to be doing? Number one, We'll see God. We'll see God. Now, again, in in, in our twisted human thinking, that sometimes doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a deal, that that's really that anything all to get excited about. But we are so wrong about that. One of the most tragic accounts of all Scripture is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve had just rebelled against God had justified God's one and only prohibition for them living in the Garden of Eden. And that was to not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, don't do that. They just did. Now, story picks up, Genesis 3, verse 8. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called man, where are you? See, they had just sinned. And so they hid in the garden. Up until that time, God used to come down and walk and have fellowship with them in the cool of the day. And now they were hiding. God says, where are you? He, Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The very first consequence of human sin was that for the very first time we began to fear God. And we've been fearing God ever since, haven't we? We feared God ever since. Some dramatic accounts of that in the Old Testament. When, when Moses was leading the people in the wilderness after they had come out of, uh, out of slavery it, it, through the exodus in, in Egypt, they kept rebelling against God. So finally God said, listen, Moses, you have them all assemble, assemble around Mount Sinai. You have them all come. I'm going to address them. Then he said, now don't you have them touch the mountain because I'm living on the mountain. If they touch the mountain, they're going to die. But you have them assemble around. So Moses assembled all the people and they're all, you know. And all of a sudden God begins to speak in the heavens begin to thunder with his voice. And scripture says, they fell immediately on their faces. Thousands and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people fell on their faces and they cried out to Moses, begging Moses to have God stop speaking to them because they were afraid in the presence of God. And over and over again, that's repeated. You know what? Some of us here today are still afraid of God. We live daily in fear of God, the thought of God, the thought of seeing God, the thought of heaven, the thought of eternity. We still live in fear because today sin still alienates us from God. We see God like Paul saw God and wrote to his young preacher Timothy, his apprentice, where in 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 15, Paul writes, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. See, that's the God that, that we contemplate now. This God who is unapproachable, this God who we can never see and we can never be around. And all of that is true now because we live under the curse of sin. But look what the Apostle John, one of the original 12 disciples, in the revelation that God gives him of the end of time and of the beginning of our eternal experience in the last book of the Bible called the Revelation, in chapter 22, verse 4, it says, they, speaking of believers, will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In other words, in the end times, when we are in our eternal experience, we will now see God face to face. We will have physical fellowship with God, just like we were able to do before we fell into sin. See, we will see God. I love how theologian Sam Storms kind of conceptualized this. He said, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with him. Our experience of God will never reach its consummation. We will never finally arrive as if upon reaching a peak and discover there's nothing beyond it. 
Our experience with God will never become stale. It will deepen and develop, intensify and amplify, unfold and increase, broaden and balloon. In other words, Sam says his scripture supports that when we get to see him face to face, we will be so overwhelmed. We will be filled with such a sense of awe that we're never going to be able to have enough of him. We're never going to be able to stop wanting to see him and talk to him and experience him because that's what we, we will see God. And when we do, it'll be the most amazing thing that we've ever had happen to us. Not only will we see God in heaven, we will worship God in heaven. Now, here's another turnoff to a lot of people. They really do. They, they don't really. Mark Twain. I mean, people have a hard time. They dread the thought of trying to spend one hour in church on Sunday morning, let alone worshiping God for a whole eternity. See, a lot of people feel like that. Really? How I'm going to be doing is singing to God all day long, every day for all eternity. Oh, we're going to be in this big church service all the time. We're just, that's all we're going to be doing. See? See, we have a distorted understanding of worship even here, but we certainly have a distorted understanding of worship there. See, there, there's no worship leader going to stand up and say, all right, would you please now stand? We're going to sing two songs, and then we're going to have announcements. Following that, we're going to sing another song. Then the pastor will come and deliver the sermon. After that, we'll have prayer, and finally, we'll collect the offering. That's not what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be like what we do here. In heaven, worship will be spontaneous. It'll be spontaneous. When we, for the first time, see God, I have no doubt we are going to break out into spontaneous worship, singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When we finally have the full realization that our sins really have been forgiven and parted as far as the east is from the west, don't you think for a second we aren't going to break out into spontaneous worship and thanking God and praising him that it's really true, that which we could never accept during this life that was going to be true? When we see the new earth and its glory and its majesty, we'll break out in spontaneous worship. Even now, in this decaying earth, this this. This polluted earth. I've stood at the Grand Canyon and, and, and just w- w- was driven to worship, singing, how great thou art. Just things we see now, but when we see the new earth, we'll be taken away. Just everything, everything about heaven. When we finally experience the fullness of our inheritance, every moment will be an expression of worship. We won't be able to help ourselves being where we're at and experiencing what we're experiencing. But we will have time of corporate worship too, Scripture says. We'll have corporate worship where we'll all get together and worship God. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were all wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Other places, that song I just sang, they're actually singing in heaven, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine Christians from every nation? Remember, we're going to retain a gender and our ethnicity. We're going to be living in nations even in the new earth. We'll gather together and spontaneously praise God. There'll be African Christians praising God. There'll be Asian Christians praising God. Uh, there'll be European Christians praising God. 
Uh, there'll be Anglo Christians praising God, and, and by then we'll be able to actually clap in rhythm. <clears throat> there'll be Hispanic Christians praising God while doing the salsa. There'll be Islander Christians praising God and serving rum cake, I hope. See, we're going to be praising God. We'll all be together, and it's not going to be boring. It's going to be the most exciting thing that ever happened to us. Let me tell you something about heaven. In heaven, we would be perfectly content forever and ever and ever just to stare at God. We would never tire of just that. We would be perfectly content forever and ever and ever to be in one eternal worship service of God. We would be perfectly content, but that's not how God designed it, see, because God's not an egotist, and God has so much more for us. Like like what else? We will explore. We'll have the ability to explore. We'll be able to explore the new earth. God's going to destroy the current heavens and earth, and he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth restored to their original glory, and we'll get to explore it. If you think about it, right now in this life, the vast majority of people live their entire lives in a very close proximity. They don't go, Let me, I did this in the first service. Let me do it in this. How many here have never, ever been out of the state of Florida? You've never been out of the state of Florida. Raise your hand. Anyone here? Yeah, yeah, there's a couple. Never been here out of the state of Florida. See, how many people have never been out of the United States, never been to another country? How, how many? A lot of hands go up, people. See, we, we live this life very constrained. We live in a very tight box, most of us. Some of us had the opportunity to do more than others. But some people have never left their own county. They've lived in their own county. That's the only place they've been all their lives. And it's the same around the world, their own village, their own tribe, whatever it's been. See, but in heaven, we'll be able to explore the new earth. Well, we won't, finances won't be a problem. Opportunity won't be a problem. We'll get to explore the new earth. We'll get to go everywhere, see it all. And somebody asked him, well, what happens by the time we've seen it all? Well, we'll go see it again. We'll go see it again. We'll go back to our favorite places. Right now we have favorite places. A lot of the guys, we'll, we'll, we'll oftentimes here at the church take a golf trip up to North Carolina to Pinehurst. We've done it for years and years and years. I'll go tomorrow. I'm not tired of it. We all have favorite places we like to go. And when we see the new earth, we'll get, and, and then you know what? We'll get to go do it with other people. One, maybe one time we did it with this group. Next time we're going to get a whole other group and we'll go do it again. And over and over and over again. We'll get to explore the new Jerusalem. That new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. That thing we think of of heaven, Revelation 21 verse 10. John now, the, the apostle, having this vision of how the end times and and how eternity will begin. He says this in Revelation 21, verse 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Remember we said that the heaven we think about the walls of uh, uh, pearl, or the gates of pearl, and the, and the walls of jasper, and the streets of gold, all that that we thought was heaven. Well, that's the new Jerusalem that will come down to the new earth. That will be the, the, the dwelling place of God. That's where we, he will rule the eternal kingdom. But John saw it. Now, it goes on to say, The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. In other words, it's a cube. 
It comes down as a cube. Now, if you take the angel's measurements and convert them to our understanding of measurement, here's what it comes to. The city will take up 2.25 million square miles. That's how big it's going to be. Now, if, if you place that in the middle of the United States, it would reach from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to the border of California. That's how big that is going to be. Now, remember, it's a cube. Wide, length, and height. And so with that height, by today's building standards, it'll be 600,000 stories tall. 600,000 stories tall. Now, that might take a little time to explore, wouldn't you think? Can't do that on a day trip, can we? And then the majesty of it. The splendor of it, we'll want to see it over and over and over again. And by the way, that's where God's going to be. And we won't ever tire of being able to come back to the New Jerusalem and see God. How about explore the universe? Will we be able to explore the universe? Well, think about it. Under the curse of sin that we're living in right now, God has already allowed humankind to begin space exploration. Our country is one of the leaders in space exploration. We put people on the moon. We've done that. But let me ask you, what now is the chief obstacle to continued space exploration? What's the one thing that really makes it difficult? A lot of technological challenges, but what's the one major thing? Time. I mean, they're talking about putting someone on Mars now. I I, I believe... I remember correctly, that that trip from Earth to Mars will take five years to complete. That means the astronauts are en route for five years. They get to Mars, do whatever they're going to do, and then it's five years back. That's one-seventh of an average human lifetime, one trip to Mars. And Mars is one of the closest planets to Earth. See, it's time. We, we, we can't go out any further because we don't have the, the, enough life in us to do that right now, living under the curse. But living in heaven, the curse is going to be removed, and death will no longer be a part of life. And so, explore. We got all the time of eternity to explore. There's nothing too far away that would exhaust our lifetime. And if God has allowed us to begin space exploration under sin... Why would we think he won't allow us to do it when we're not living under sin anymore? I believe we'll be able to explore the universe. You talk about travel agencies, huh? You talk about taking some vacations. I can't wait to play golf on Jupiter and Mars. We will eat. Can I get an amen? We will eat. Now, some people say, no, we won't. No, we won't. We're not going to eat. And, and they'll get scripture to support that. Scripture is like Romans 14, 7, where it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. To say, right there, Paul said it. In his letters to Romans, I, you know, heaven's a spiritual place. It's not about physical things like eating and drinking. But they'll talk about Revelation 7, 16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. See, 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 see we're not even going to be interested. We won't have a desire to eat anymore. There'll be no more hunger, no more thirst. Now, again, you got to be careful not to take verses out of their context. 
Those verses do not say that we won't eat. They're not saying we'll never eat again. This verse, Revelation 7.16, what it's saying is never again will there be a lack of food. Never again will be there someone who cannot get fresh water to drink. See, the thing that makes eating a challenge now and sometimes makes the whole concept of eating and drinking negative is the scarcity that, that might come upon a portion of the world or, or some family because of poverty and there's no food to eat. There's nothing to drink. It says in heaven, don't worry about that. There's going to be plenty to eat and drink. See, Christ's resurrected body, remember, was the chief model for what will be like when our bodies are resurrected. And what did he do? He, one of the ways he proved that he had physically resurrected, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, was he sat down with his disciples and he ate fish. He actually ate real earthly food, swallowed it, still had a digestive system, still had taste buds to enjoy it, and that's what we're going to be like. In fact, look what Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet says in Isaiah 25, 6, prophesying about the future, about that great day when we're with the Lord. He says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. I love that verse. He says, we're going to eat rich food. Get rid of the celery. Get rid of the radishes. Bring on the burritos and pizza and all that good starchy stuff. All those sweets and cakes and pies and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. That's what we're going to be eating then. Look what Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 19.9 says, Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So right there, God promises that we're going to have feasts. God promises that we're going to eat. God promises that we're going to eat rich food. We won't have to worry about calories anymore because we'll be living in a glorified body with nuclear <laughs> metabolisms. Now that's what I'm talking about. There's another verse that really piques my attention now. Revelation 2.7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, why does that pique my attention? Why should it pique your attention? Back Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of a humankind, there, there was one tree that was in the middle of garden that was the prohibition. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there was also a tree in close proximity to it called the tree of life. When humankind fell into sin, Adam and Eve fell into sin, the Trinity got together. And they said, we got to do something or man might eat of the tree of life and live for all eternity like us. And so God put an angel, a cherub angel, to guard the tree of life. Now, there's a lot of theological implications on that, and that's a sermon for another time. But in heaven, we will have access again to the tree of life. And I wonder, this is just speculation on my part. This is not theology. This is tokarology. I'm thinking that maybe part of our eternal experience is that we will regularly get the opportunity to go to the holy city to see God again and while there, eat of the tree of life. And maybe it's some nourishment from the tree of life that will make our bodies immortal and give us the ability to live forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't know fully what it means, but I know it's going to be in a significant part.
So we will eat, thank the Lord. We'll have fellowship. We'll have fellowship with family and friends who have gone on before us. How many got family on the other side? How many got friends on the other side? I, I, I do. And my mom and dad, my grandma, my grandfathers who I never met, I hope are there. Friends who have died, people close, bridge members that have died and gone on. I miss them. I can't wait to sit down and talk with them again. And next time I sit down and talk with them, I don't ever have to worry about saying goodbye because goodbyes are going to be gone forever. We'll have the opportunity to fellowship with the heroes of the faith, people like Abraham and Adam and Eve and Moses and David and, and Paul and Peter and John and James and all these great heroes of our faith. We'll get to actually sit down with every one of them and talk with them about what their life was fully about, because all we've got is a snapshot of who they are. We'll get to, to understand it all. We'll fellowship with great characters of history who were believers in Jesus Christ. I get to sit down with Abraham Lincoln and really understand everything that happened. Get to sit down with Martin Luther King and talk about what was really going on all about. Get, get, what we get to do all that, see? Get to fellowship with believers from other countries and other times. All through the, the history of the Christian church, we get to sit down with those people who were martyrs for the cause of Christ and get, get their stories personally right from their mouths of how everything went down. We'll get to fellowship with believers who we helped get to heaven. I think that's going to be one of the most rewarding, most, one of the most surprising things that happened to us in heaven. When we'll get to heaven... And people will come up to us and say, I couldn't wait for you to get here because I want to give you the big hug because I'm here in part of you. And we'll go, what? Listen, believer, understand this. Someone is always watching you. They're always watching you. They may never talk to you. They may never approach you, but they're always someone watching your life. And they're watching to see if what comes out of your mouth is lived out in your life, love, forgiveness, integrity, all of that, they're watching. And your life, the way you're living your life right now, might be the single most important thing in them somehow coming to faith by maybe going to a different church, maybe talking to a different believer at a different time. But you had a part in that. When you serve here at the bridge or other great churches and you have a part in, in facilitating service and learning to, to other men and women and boys and girls, you have a part in their eternal experience. And when we get to heaven, they're going to come up and we'll be able to talk to them and discover and find out about it. Every dollar that you give of your tithes and offerings, all the money you give to support missions, there are going to be people from every tribe, every nation that you support it coming up to you and saying, I can't wait, I couldn't wait for you to get here. Scripture says that, that we ought to use money to earn for us friends in eternal places. That doesn't mean we buy our way to heaven. What it means is that we should have used our resources, our time, our money, our talents in service of the Lord, in service of the kingdom so that other people come to faith. And when we get to heaven, we'll get to meet everyone and we'll sit down and say, what, what, I, I, you got to tell me what this story is. And we'll sit down with one after another, after another, after another. We'll get to have fellowship with the angels of God. Imagine that. Michael, Gabriel, we'll get to sit down and talk with them. And Scripture says, by the way, that God created an innumerable number of angels. As a matter of fact, you can't count them. There's 
billions, maybe trillions of angels. That might take a little bit of time to get introduced to each one of those, right? We might sit down there and say, oh, God was so wonderful for me. Matter of fact, Angel, let me tell you, uh, one time I was driving down to Palmetto, and, and all of a sudden this, this truck came across it. I, 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 still to this day, I, I, I don't know how I missed that truck. And Angel said, I, I was there. I, I know how you missed it. That was me. And I think over and over again, we'll see how the angelic hosts have impacted our everyday lives. Because there is a spirit world, and there is the angelic realm, and they aren't just for eternity, they're for now. We're going to see God, we're going to worship God, we're going to explore, we're going to eat, we're going to fellowship. We're going to have a chance to do all that. Can you begin to appreciate how exciting heaven is going to be? It's not going to be boring. God's not boring, we're born. When we get there, we're going to be part of God's economy. But think about this. All these things that we've talked about so far, they're all things we're going to have to do in our spare time. Because there's one more major activity that we're going to be doing in heaven. One more major one. Major. Priority. See you next week. (laughs) See you next week. Now, my admonition to us all right now is this. Don't miss heaven. Don't miss it. It's amazing. It's beyond description. Don't miss it. The sad reality, and this isn't my opinion or the opinion of the bridge. This is biblical. This is scriptural. This is what God has declared in his his inspired word. The reality is not everyone's going to be there. Not everyone's going to get to enjoy it. Say, well, what's the difference going to be? How good you are? No. Because none of us are good enough. How much service you've given to the church? No. Although that's an important part of our eternal rewards, as we'll learn. How much money you've given? No. There's only one thing that will determine whether or not we're in heaven. You, you can see it in the Bridges theme verse, John 5, 24. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. The only way to get to heaven is through faith in Jesus. It's coming to the point where you realize that there is nothing in yourself, there is nothing you can ever do of your own to get to heaven. It's absolute humility before God, absolute honesty and and authenticity before Jesus Christ in saying, I get it, God, there is nothing in me. There is nothing I can do to get to heaven except believe what you have said about the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and that is that Jesus died on the cross for sin. And everything God requires has already been settled. And as Romans 10.9 says then, my only part in the whole deal, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. There's no other way. John 1.12, yet to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. One way. J-E-S-U 
S, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Have you ever trusted Jesus as your Savior? If not, here's how much God loves you. God has manipulated time and circumstances to get you to the bridge today to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior. And right now, if God is speaking to your spirit and you sense his presence, a small, still voice saying, what you've just heard is true and I brought you here to receive it, then you can receive it right now. It's as simple as a prayer of faith that might go something like this and you can even use it as a template if you want. A prayer that says, God, I get it. I am a sinner. I get it, God. Of myself, in myself, I am hopeless. There is nothing I can do to change the fact that my sin has alienated me from you. God, that's why you sent Jesus to die on a cross. And so today, as best as I understand it, God, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. There is no other way to you except through Jesus. And God, I confess and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, that all that you said and all Scripture says about Jesus is true. And so today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to pay my sin debt with your sacrifice that you died on the cross to do. Today, I believe on your name. Today, I trust the Son of God for eternal life. If you just did that, Scripture says in 1 John 5, 13, these things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God has settled it because you have humbled yourself and you've put your faith in God. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the provision of our salvation. Thank you that we're going to this place that we can only begin to imagine. And God, there will never be one moment of eternity that will be boring, that will not be filled with the wonders of who you are and of what you have created, the wonders of meeting each other and more and more people for all eternity, hearing the stories over and over again that we'll never tire of. Thank you, God, for it all. It's all through you. Bless us in the name of Jesus. Help us now to be the bridge to people this week who still need to cross from death to life. We give you the glory for those who do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.